an oversight to general damages claims. You're listening to The Civil Lawcast, a regular series on issues of interest and developments in civil law brought to you by the members of 39 Essex Chambers. Hello and welcome to part three of this four-part mini-series um, in which we're discussing the common types of claims that arise in personal injury and clinical negligence litigation. I'm Caroline Allen, I practice at 39 Essex Chambers and my specialist areas are personal injury, clinical negligence, inquests and costs. My talk today provides an oversight to general damages claims. Um, it's commonly thought that general damages encompasses, as indeed it does, pain, suffering and loss of amenity claims. But there are also separate and distinct heads of loss which come under the general damages remit. I'm going to be talking about one other of these in particular today, and that is claims for handicap on the open labour market, or Smith and Manchester claims as they're more commonly called. Other areas of loss, um, heads of loss, can include loss of congenial employment, loss of enjoyment, for example, in the context of a holiday, loss of leisure time, loss of marriage prospects, and loss of use, more specifically um, in relation to, for example, hire vehicles or particular pieces of equipment that have been hired. I'm not going to go into these in any greater detail today um, for three particular reasons. Firstly, because they are often incorporated within other overarching heads of loss, most often PSLA awards. Um, they may be relatively limited in value, or they can be very straightforward to work out as to cost. For example, loss of enjoyment in respect of a holiday would ordinarily involve recuperation of a proportion of the cost spent on the holiday, or loss of use of a car, for example, or, or some other piece of equipment would generally encompass the higher cost that's been incurred. The focus of my talk is going to be PSLA um, awards and, and, and also, as I've previously mentioned, awards for handicap on the open labour market. PSLA awards are generally considered globally um, and ordinarily um, consist of one lump sum which is awarded in respect of all areas of pain, suffering, loss of amenity, al although they are technically separate heads of loss. The award is designed to be fair, reasonable and appropriate compensation for injuries sustained. A starting point in any assessment of PSLA damages is, of course, the Judicial College guidelines, which are now into their 15th edition. I imagine that almost everybody listening to this webinar will be very familiar with the, um, the Judicial College guidelines. They encompass 13 chapters, a number of subcategories within each chapter, dealing with injuries of almost all type and, and encompassing almost all areas of the body. They additionally and most helpfully provide damages brackets for each category of injury dependent upon severity and a guide to those factors which ought to be taken into consideration when assessing what level of general damages ought to be awarded. Presently, the 15th edition um, continues to include the Simmons and Castle 10% uplift, which is to say the uplift uh, which applies to all cases which are not being funded under a pre-April 2013 conditional fee agreement. Um, which, which is to say one which allows for a success fee to be applied. In practice, there are increasingly few cases um, which are still being litigated, which, which are being pursued un, un, under an old-style CFA. And so, accordingly, the Simmons and Castle uplift is likely to apply to most personal injury cases which are before the courts. But it is always worth checking, particularly in respect of older cases or perhaps those involving children, which, which tend to continue for longer than others. What is also bearing in, um, worth bearing in mind is that when you are applying comparable cases um, in, in order to reach an assessment of general damages, that any cases which are relied upon that predate April 2013 
will also need to be updated by adding on the additional 10% Simmons and Castle uplift in addition to applying the RPI-based uplift, um, which enables an accurate calculation to be made of what a damages award would be worth in the current climate. The guidelines are fairly self-explanatory and they're fairly straightforward and easy to use. Conventionally, disputes between the parties tend to focus upon which damage bracket um, a claimant's injuries properly fall within. Inevitably, this always turns on the facts and on a very close reading of both the medical evidence and also a close analysis of the special damages that have been claimed, with particular attention to be paid to any loss of earnings claim or any care claim, because that can be highly illustrative. There ought also to be reference to any medication that's been purchased, any aids or any treatment that has been sought, received or, or is anticipated, because of course that can, have, can provide considerable insight into the level of general damages which ought properly to be awarded and to the impact that the PSLA has, has had upon any particular claimant's life. What is also worth taking into consideration um, in respect of whiplash claims is the Civil Liability Act 2018, which isn't yet in force, but which is going to be of particular relevance to whiplash claims. It provides a new definition of what constitutes a whiplash injury, and it introduces a tariff of fixed compensation for whiplash injuries of up to two years duration, or injuries which ought to be of up to two years duration, um, had a claimant mitigated their loss appropriately. Damages are to be an amount which will be specified in regulations to be made by the Lord Chancellor, and this will also include awards for minor psychological injury arising in the context of a whiplash claim. There is also a plan to increase the small claims limit to £5,000 for road traffic accident claims, which is worth bearing in mind too, if, if, if you have any which look as though they, they may be brought relatively soon. Um, at the moment, it looks as though the legislation will be introduced in April 2021. It's been a victim of COVID. It was meant to be introduced in April of last year, then August, and it's been put off once again. Whether or not it, it will indeed be introduced in April 2021 remains to be seen, but there are some delays arising from the fact that the MIB has been tasked with introducing a portal for those claimants who are inevitably going to have to bring their own claims because it will no longer be economically viable for firms of solicitors to do so. Now, whilst the JSC guidelines are relatively straightforward and user-friendly, there are inevitably areas of potential complication. The most commonly found are those arising in the case of multiple injuries and injuries which don't fit comfortably within the JSC guidelines. In respect of multiple injuries, um, what is critical is the degree of overlap between the various injuries. Um, some injuries are, are, are freestanding, for example, in the context of a road traffic accident, if somebody has suffered an injury to their head and an unpleasant injury, say, to a foot or a wrist, then it's evident that they're separate and distinct and that the claimant ought to be compensated accord accordingly. If, however, there is a clear overlap between the areas of injury, for example, let's say there is a whiplash, there is a back injury, there are headaches, there's a mild psychological injury. Of course, under the Civil Justice Act, this will be dealt with by way of tariff, but applying the JC guidelines for the time being as they remain appropriate, there is inevitably a risk of overcompensation if each injury is assessed separately and if the rewards are applied in an aggregate fashion, not allowing for any degree of overlap. Injuries are therefore usually considered globally, um, either by applying a broad brush overall impression approach, which has been endorsed by the Court of Appeal on a number of occasions, um, most recently in Sadler and Philippiac, or by the Court adopting an approach whereby aggregate awards for separate injuries are calculated with a percentage discount overall for perceived overlap 
This is also an approach which has been endorsed by the Court of Appeal. Um, discounts of 10 to 20 percent are very common. 25 percent is not unusual. And again, inevitably, it's all a matter of fact and degree and, and of course, the exercise of judicial discretion. As to the second category of potentially complicated claims, which are injuries which don't sit well within a particular category set out within the Judicial College guidelines, um, I could do no better than to refer you to Kemp and Kemp, um, which is also extremely helpful when you're considering multiple injuries. Um, it's a vast database of comparable damages awards. It's a fantastic resource. Um, it's available online. I, I access it through Lawtel. I'm not sure whether it's available otherwise, but, but, but certainly that's the portal through which I access it. Um, I believe the loof, loose leaf edition remains available um, and it covers all types, all conceivable types really of physical and mental injury. It also includes injuries arising within the context of clinical negligence um, actions, which, which is extremely helpful. The awards are updated in line with the retail price index. Um, the notes to Kemp and Kemp are also very helpful. It is, however, worth noting that Kemp and Kemp is inevitably reliant upon reported cases and on cases which are submitted to the editorial team um, by parties who are involved in particular claims. It has therefore been accused of having a claimant slant because it's worth considering why it is that a particular case has been submitted and the answer perhaps predictably may well be that, it has that it's because it's represented a particularly good outcome for a claimant, or, or perhaps more neutrally, I should say, a party, and that that is the reason why those involved have, have wished it to be reported and recorded. That said, though, it remains an extremely strong resource, though from a defendant perspective, some traction may be gained in saying that the awards set out within Kemp and Kemp tend to be slightly on the higher side, and that that is the reason why they have been recorded there. Used in conjunction with the Judicial College guidelines, this should enable most practitioners to make a reasonable assessment of PSLA damages, though ultimately this is an area where experience counts for a great deal. And of course, judicial discretion is determinative and particular judges take particular approaches. And that, of course, is one of the frustrations involved in, in advising in this area, um, because what may occur on the day is, is, is of course, not entirely predictable. Turning then to the second area of general damages, which I'll be addressing, handicap on the open labour market, or as, as it's often referred to, Smith and Manchester um, claims. This is an award for contingent future loss, where a claimant remains in employment at the time of trial, but we would be at a handicap on the open labour market as a result of his or her injuries. It's not appropriate to make a Smith and Manchester award where a full loss of earnings claim has been made on a multiplier or multiplicand basis and where the claimant is deemed to have no residual earning capacity. And it's also inappropriate uh, to make a Smith and Manchester award where the Ogden Tables methodology has been applied as future contingencies arising out of disability or handicap have already been taken into account. In order to receive Smith and Manchester damages, a claimant must demonstrate to the court's satisfaction that the risk of unemployment um, were, were their present employment to end is neither fanciful nor speculative, as opposed to real or substantial. And they must also demonstrate that the medical evidence supports the assertion that they will be disadvantaged at work because of their injuries, specifically with, re with reference to their previous occupation and, and to their qualifications. For example, it may potentially be more difficult for somebody who is an office worker or who is employed in a managerial capacity to demonstrate that a physical injury has devastated their prospects on the open labour market were they to be made unemployed than it would be for a manual labourer. 
Conversely, of course, there are certain jobs which become untenable if the claimant has suffered even a comparatively minor brain injury or minor impairment to their fine motor skills. Again, it very much turns on the facts and on the medical evidence and specifically on the claimant's own type of employment. The assessment of risk in respect of a Smith & Manchester award is also relative to the claimant's local jobs market and that bears some investigation. Is it buoyant? Is alternative employment likely to be available to the claimant if they lose their present job? Is there much call for the claimant's unimpaired and residual skill set? Does the claimant remain attractive to employers in spite of their injuries? Conversely, of course, does the claimant have any pre-existing injuries or any pre-existing disability which would already have placed them at a disadvantage on the jobs market in any event and entirely separate to any injuries sustained within the index accident? Generally speaking, Smith & Manchester awards are limited to two years loss of earnings and a broad brush approach is, of necessity, commonly adopted. Thanks for listening. At 39 Essex Chambers, we cover a vast array of practice areas and sectors. You can find out more about our expertise and our barristers at 39essex.com, where you can also see our extensive catalogue of articles, podcasts and webinars. Music